God's word this morning is from Matthew. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Amen. Thank you, ladies, for sharing and for reading our Christmas passage this morning. Um, I'm glad that we got to hear that portion from Matthew because uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7 today, and you might halfway through be thinking, how on earth is this a Christmas message? But uh, hopefully it will all come together. This is Advent season. This is a special time of year uh, that allows us to focus on the joyful and miraculous first coming of Jesus. Um, And hopefully you have already begun some special traditions in your family to to make the, the time special and to draw the attention to Christ. We took our kids down to uh, a little Christmas tree farm on uh, Friday and, and selected a, a tree to bring home. And as we were driving home, uh, I w- we were listening to Christmas songs and talking to the family just about Christmas. And I said, you know, it's Christmas season. I, I don't remember why I said that. But, and, uh, and one of our twins, who's three, said, does that mean it's Christmas right now? And I was trying to explain to them this idea of the season, that you get to Christmas at the end. And and I said, one of the best things about Christmas is the anticipation. And it builds up, and you get to enjoy it for a whole month, and then the arrival, and it, you know, trying to get to the point of just uh, the Advent uh, season. And my five-year-old spoke up from the back. He says, no, Daddy, the best part of Christmas is the gifts. So he has in his mind, it's not the anticipation, it's the gifts. But hopefully this Christmas season, we will uh, anticipate the arrival of Christ as we celebrate his first arrival. And our theme this year is Emmanuel, God with us. I think Emmanuel is one of the most beautiful and intimate names for Jesus our Savior And it really poignantly describes the deep truth that God not only sees us in our need and in our desperation, but he comes down to be with us and to rescue us and to redeem us for himself. When I think of uh, the heart of the term Emmanuel, uh, a very real experience comes to my mind. In case you uh, don't know me, uh, I have six sons. And uh, so I've had this experience many times. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of the night standing over a crib and there's a fussy baby in there that will not calm down, will not stop crying, will not go to sleep unless you rest your hand on his back? It's, It's something special about your hand on their back that they know you're there they know that you are present, and it calms them and gives them peace. 
It's a horrible place to be as a parent. (laughs) But it's a beautiful reminder of how God is for us, our Emmanuel. And so I want us to, uh, to seek to experience that peace and assurance that comes from living in the promise that God is with us. And so... Uh, I want to think about Emmanuel as the perfect way to frame Christ's advent. And here are two, if you don't believe me, listen to two other pastor theologians. Uh, Matthew Henry says, By the light of nature, we see God as God above us. By the light of the law, we see him as God against us. But by the light of the gospel, we see him as Emmanuel, God with us. And John MacArthur says, If we could condense all the truths of Christmas into only three words, it would be the words, God with us. And so for this first uh, sermon in the series of Emmanuel, we're going to explore God with us in our hopes and our fears. And if you think, that sounds a little bit familiar, well, it's from one of our favorite Christmas hymns, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Uh, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And so we're going to turn our attention to Isaiah chapter 7. If you want to grab your Bible and follow along, we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses or so of Isaiah chapter 7. And they describe for us the first prophecy of Emmanuel. And as we're going to unfold the story, we're going to, we're going to see that whether you are besieged by an overwhelming enemy or whether you are peacefully rocking your newborn baby, or any circumstance in between, the eternal, triune, creator God of the universe comes down to make his dwelling with you to be the answer to all your fears and the source of all your hope. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you, Emmanuel, God with us. So turn our heart and our attention and our lives to focus on your truth. Speak to us from your word, instruct us, inspire us, mold us into Christ-likeness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we unpack this story of Uh, Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to frame this both as God with us in our fears and God with us in our hopes. And so God with us in our fears is how we'll begin. And I want to tell you this Christmas story. This is the story of the first Emmanuel found in Isaiah 7, 1 through 16. And just for cross-reference, in case you are a, uh, you're kind of historically minded, Uh, This passage, Isaiah 7, takes place chronologically between 
2 Kings chapter 16, verses 5 and 6. So, you know, uh, when you're telling history, you can't tell every detail. And so, in between uh, the history that's being laid out in 2 Kings chapter 16, we have this whole uh, encounter, in fact, a couple of encounters described in Isaiah 7 that would fit into that chronological place. So here's the story of what's happening here in Isaiah 7. Uh, This takes place around the year of 735 B.C., and it's a divided kingdom. It's, it's after the separation of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the southern kingdom of Judah is the setting of this, uh, this story. And it is under the reign of King Ahaz. Now, if you have ever heard or studied about King Ahaz, you know that he is an idolatrous king. And he has led the nation to forsake the worship of of the one true God, and to pursue the worship of false gods, the false gods of the neighboring peoples. And Ahaz even promoted and participated in child sacrifice. You can see here from 2 Kings chapter 16, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord had drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and the hills and under every green tree. So it's obvious Ahaz was not a godly king, but instead was uh, idolatrous and sinful and led the nation to be so as well. And two nations had risen up to wage war against the king of Judah. And so here you can see this map uh, briefly giving you uh, just a picture of what's happening. You have Judah, the, the green there at the very bottom. And then just above that you have the nation of, of uh, Israel. And then above them you have the nation of Syria. Well, Syria and Israel had come to wage war against Judah. Now sometimes in the scriptures, and if you read through Isaiah 7, you'll see that uh, referring to these different nations uh, it would get old if you just said Israel, Syria, Israel, Syria, Judah. So they use a lot of uh, poetic license, and they'll throw in the name of the, the capital city, or they'll throw in the name of the king, or the name of the family, just to, to make it uh, a little more uh, interesting. But you have you have Syria and Israel waging war against Judah. And I want you to just, in your mind, mark there Assyria up there at the top. They will come in at the end of the story. As these two nations brought war to Israel, they, uh, excuse me, to Judah, they besieged Jerusalem and the capital city. So Ahaz there uh, in the capital with uh, his people were terrified. And Isaiah 7 describes this in verse 2 where it says, When the house of David uh, was told Syria is in league with Ephraim. So Ephraim being a a description of Israel. When uh, they were told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so this is where I want us to pause and And think about this, God with us in our fears. 
Because here was, Isaiah, was, uh, was uh, Ahaz and all the people feeling the fears that come with this war. There must be few other fears as gripping and courage-destroying as looking over your city walls <clears throat> and seeing thousands upon thousands of troops amassed for battle against you and your countrymen. Not only that, but the reports that must have been coming into the city of the destruction that this army was bringing to the villages and towns outside the city. And the, the hearts of the people were melting. And I think uh, even though most of us have probably never been in battle or never experienced this kind of fear, we can relate to a fear that shakes us to our core. We can relate to the sense of, uh, to that feeling of being overwhelmed or besieged or having our hearts surrounded by an enemy. I wonder if we might just take a moment and reflect on that and think about what fears are we facing? Well, let's, let's pray about that for just a minute. Our Heavenly Father, God, as we think about Emmanuel, God with us in our hopes and our fears, God, would you make it real to us that we would not hide but expose to you the fears of our hearts, that we might experience you and your presence with us in our fears. And so whatever uh, fears we face, whatever seems to besiege our hearts, would we uh, lay that bear before you even now as we study your word? And so in the middle of this fear and this trembling and uh, the surrounding uh, armies, God sent Isaiah, the prophet, to Ahaz with a message of encouragement. And to summarize, God said to Ahaz through Isaiah, God will be your ally. It looks overwhelming, but this war being waged against you will not be successful. You will not be defeated. Be firm in your faith. That was the message from Isaiah. And to strengthen Ahaz's courage, God invited uh, Ahaz to ask for a sign. A sign that will strengthen his faith that God will accomplish their deliverance. In fact, God says, ask anything. But Ahaz responded in a hypocritical way that exposes his lack of relationship with God and his lack of trust. And so you can see that here in Isaiah 7, uh, verses 10 to 13. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of, of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? And so uh, Isaiah is speaking uh, here on behalf of the Lord. And this is where we begin to see a shift. A shift from God coming to us in our fears and then prompting us, prompting our hearts to hope. So God comes to us in our fears and prompts our hearts to hope. And that's what's happening here with God offering to give a sign to Ahaz, knowing their fear, but says, I have hope for you. And so God with us in our hopes 
God steps in and offers a sign of hope in spite of Ahaz's faithlessness. So let's continue. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And that is God inspiring hope both uh, for Ahaz and for the people of Judah. Hope of deliverance through God with us, Emmanuel. And so in this, this sign of hope would be a virgin will conceive and bear a son and give him the name Emmanuel. And there are two times in the Bible when this prophecy came true. And in fact, you might call it a double fulfillment of this prophecy. So there is a near fulfillment, a fulfillment for uh, Ahaz, Isaiah, the people of Judah. And then there is an ultimate fulfillment that we see. And so on the one hand, the prophecy uh, spoke of a baby that was the sign of a promised temporal deliverance, the near fulfillment. And on the other hand, the prophecy spoke of the one, the promised one, who was the author of an eternal deliverance. And regarding this first fulfillment, uh, there, there are a lot of differing theories about how to interpret this, uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and who this was, um, and even some who, uh, who might explain away the word virgin just to mean young woman. But uh, it, it, this is the way that uh, I believe we are to understand the, the first fulfillment of this prophecy. Uh, and it, remember, it was a sign to Ahaz and the people of Judah in Isaiah's day. Therefore, it had to make sense to them. It had to have significance to them. It couldn't have been something that was just forward-looking to the Messiah. So it says, uh, uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And so this was most likely uh, a young woman, unmarried, uh, but yet uh, approaching or of marriage age. So a virgin, possibly within the royal family for this to land home for Ahaz would make sense that he would have been able to know and find out about what was happening. Uh, And that she would soon, within a short amount of time, uh, get married, conceive a child, give birth to a son, and name him Emmanuel. And so for this first fulfillment of the prophecy, it was more about a span of time than it was about a miraculous fulfillment. It was, a, it was telling Ahaz and the people of Judah, within this amount of time, God will come and deliver you. So uh, a young woman becoming uh, marriage age, getting married, conceiving and burying a son and naming him Emmanuel. And then it goes, uh, uh, goes on from there. But I want to think about the naming him Emmanuel for just a moment. Uh, as this young mother names her child Emmanuel, uh, it could be, it is conceivable that she names him Emmanuel in complete ignorance of the prophecy. That, uh, that wasn't someone choosing to fulfill the prophecy, but it was just 
uh, in, in complete uh, ignorance of the prophecy, yet ex- either genuinely expressing faith in God for the deliverance of their desperate situation, or some have suggested even possibly uh, in not knowing about the prophecy, intending to bolster Ahaz's confidence in this alternate plan that we're going to see he ends up taking. Whether or not the young mother intended, was faithfully expressing hope in the Lord or falsely trying to lead Ahaz to another uh, confidence in another plan, that is irrelevant. The, the, the intention behind the naming of the child has no bearing on God's working of his fulfillment of the deliverance of the people of Judah. God's uh, promise then uh, of the timing of his deliverance uh, continues that within the early years of this boy's life, and so there's some different ways to understand it, either uh, around the time he begins to eat solid food or around the time he's uh, old enough to start teaching him right and wrong, which both very young in age, then God would have delivered Judah from the siege and the war of the two nations of, of Israel and Syria. So it's about this time span, uh, time span here. And so the message then is that God is with us. We've already seen he's, he comes in our fears and he inspires our hopes. And I would say, oh, that we would experience the hope like that of a young mother holding that young baby and within her heart welling up, God is with us. You know, there is nothing more hopeful than the birth of a child, with recognizing the the, the future that only God knows. And, and also just knowing that, uh, that you have the perseverance now because of hope to face the fears. You know, as a parent, fears don't go away. In fact, in fact for some of us, fears might magnify when you recognize a little life depends on you now. But there is hope to persevere in the face of fear and a hope that remembers our dependence on God. So that is the near fulfillment of the prophecy. But now let's think about the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy. It's what connects us to Advent here. Jesus is Emmanuel. Uh, He is the sign of hope. He is the ultimate fulfillment. And this is what we know about Jesus Emmanuel. He came to rescue God's people spiritually. The eternally existent Son of God stepped into humanity through a truly miraculous virgin birth. Now, while there's ambiguity about who the the mother of the young boy was in Isaiah's day, there is no ambiguity surrounding God's choosing Mary to be the mother of Jesus, who was conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures explain that the virgin birth of Christ is not only a key component of this, of this prophecy and its fulfillment, it's also a foundational truth of the power of the gospel. And so stepping into humanity as our Emmanuel, Jesus bore our sins on the cross and being himself sinless became sin for us in order to provide the atoning 
covering for our sins that we might be brought into the eternal family of God and experience the eternal fulfillment of God with us as we dwell with God forever. Jesus is our Emmanuel. And Isaiah, as led by the Holy Spirit, his prophecy has its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. In, in uh, his commentary, The Prophets of Israel, Leon Wood says it this way, There was a reason for Isaiah to refer to Christ in this context in the view of the dark day Judah was experiencing. Isaiah was saying that, in, in contrast, a bright day was coming when the great deliverer of God would arrive and bring relief from all such dark days for God's people. And so Jesus is our Emmanuel. Not only that, but Jesus continues the promise of Emmanuel all through his uh, time on earth and even as he ascends. You remember in his last uh, moment with his followers, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age. And then he fulfills that promise of Emmanuel as, as Jesus the Son and God the Father send God the Holy Spirit to dwell within each of us as we put our faith in Jesus. And God not only is with us, but indwelling us. Now, I want to think about the rest of the story, in case you're wanting to wrap up. What happened to Ahaz? What happened to Judah and the, the war uh, besieging them? And I want to, uh, to think about uh, this one main point, and that is that God intended and God desired to himself rescue his people. That was God's desire. He came to Ahaz and said, I will be your ally. I will fight this war for you. Uh, But Ahaz rejected God's promise of deliverance. God's promise of his presence and his provision. And Ahaz instead made an appeal to the king of the nation of Assyria for rescue. You remember on that map, Assyria was up above Syria. And he sent treasures from the temple of the Lord to pay the king of Assyria to persuade Assyria's intervention. And Assyria did come to Judah's rescue. They did come down and attack uh, Syria and Israel, and they had to flee up to fight the war, and they abandoned Jerusalem. And therefore, even though Ahaz did not believe and chose a different path, God's word still came true. And within the time span, God's uh, deliverance was enacted. However, God had desired that Ahaz would have trusted God alone for deliverance. Uh, But instead, Ahaz chose to trust in the powers of man. Uh, Let us have confidence in God to be our rescue. As in Isaiah 9, a a later messianic prophecy still in the the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 9, 7 says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us have confidence 
and God to be our rescue. And then Ahaz and Judah, they later suffered God's judgment for not only their lack of trust in this moment, but also for their idolatry and their uh, abandoning of God and the worship of him. And eventually Assyria returned and came down and conquered Judah as well. What a great irony that the one, the nation that, to whom they turned in place of God for their deliverance turned out to be their destruction in the year 701 B.C. So let's make some final observations about God with us. God's promise to be with the people of Judah was not due to the people's faithfulness to God. That's an important thing to note. God came to the people of Judah in their idolatry, in their sinful rebellion, and he made a promise to be faithful to them, even in their lack of faithfulness. God loves more faithfully than any other. God loves us faithfully even when we are faithless. Pastor Mark Dever says it this way. One of the most striking things about the book of Isaiah is the tenacity of God's love for his unfaithful people. Again and again, they turn from him and spurn him. They trust in other things. And again and again, God tenaciously pursues them. And here's how I want us to make this connection. When, we, when I read different portions of the Bible, I like to ask myself, who am I? In this story, who who should I relate to? In this story, we are Ahaz. You and I are Ahaz in this story. We, in our sinful flesh, we too are idolaters, tempted and sometimes giving into setting up other things in the place of the one true God. We also are facing troubles, both handed down to us from those who came before us, but also the the consequences of our own sinful rebellion. We, too, weary God by not trusting him for our deliverance, by not living in his presence and relying on his provision, and instead trusting in our own wisdom, in our own abilities, in outside sources, to address our fears or inspire our hopes. Well, we are Ahaz, but Jesus is Emmanuel, the Messiah. He is the fullness of God with us. And he is the the point of the book of Isaiah. One more time from Mark Dever. We watch the elaborate work and planning of God throughout the book of Isaiah, but in the end, it's as if... He wants us to focus on something even more particularly. God is the solution to the people's trust problems. Yes, but he sharpens the focus more than that. The solution isn't just to say God. The actual fulcrum of hope for his people seems to come in a person, a Messiah. Jesus is our Emmanuel. Let us drill down into that truth. And so, finally, what are we going to do with God with us? What should we do with that truth, with that promise? Let's ask ourselves these two questions. When am I 
inclined to feel or think that God is not with me. And what do I tend to trust in rather than trusting in God's presence and provision? What do I turn to? Let's let God probe our hearts with those questions and then let us live out the truth of God with us by trusting his promise, trusting the promise of God with us. That means, yes, we internalize this truth. We need to move it from our head, which is where it often stays. I know God is with me, but do I trust it? Do I believe it? Do I stand on it? We also need to, by trusting the promise, we're going to push back on fear and anxiety and doubt and instead embrace faith in God, confidence in Jesus, and assurance that God is with us. What are we going to do with God with us? Let us live the experience. Live the experience of God with us. That means we slow life down to wait on the Lord. Are we experiencing God with us? That we're listening to him through his word, through prayer. And then we follow his leading as he prompts us to obey. God with us is much more than a great idea. It is God's truth, his desire for you and for me. So this this Christmas time, whether you're approaching Advent with fear or whether you're full of hope, God is with us. We pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for the example through even sinful Ahaz and Judah that you are faithful even when we are faithless. Would you impress upon us, Emmanuel, God with us, that we would trust, that we would move that promise from our head to our heart, that we would live that experience intentionally. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.